Hi, Chris. How are you? Good evening, Rod. Yes, all is well here in the shed. Good to hear it. Good to hear it. You're having lovely weather over there? I am, and the door is open, so if we have any garden noises like birds tweeting or squirrels, uh, I apologise up front. I think that's quite nice. The sound of nature on the podcast, it probably sounds better than you and I do sometimes. <laughs> no comment, obviously. Anyway, should we go on with the show? It's uh, episode 21. It is episode 21 for the 13th of June, 2022, one week after WWDC. Yes, that week has flown by. I don't know about you, work's been busy, family life's been busy, and I haven't played with as much tech as I would like. Modern life is busy, but I think we're going to come on to the bits of tech from WWDC that we have played with, but we can fire straight in the follow-up if this has been a, a busy week for both of us. You installed any beaters, Chris? Um, I may well have tried out iPad OS first, followed by iPhone OS or iOS, then watch OS, a bit of TV OS, and a little bit of Mac OS. That's, so yes, all of the above. That's quite a lot of OSs, and I've done a couple too, but uh, from the sound of it, I think we'll save that for the main show. Did you? That's, okay that's a good plan. Did you uh, watch any of the sessions for WWDC? So obviously, we watched the, both watched the keynote last week, and then I watched the State of the Union afterwards, which got technical pretty quick. There's quite a steep gradient. I don't know if you've seen it, but between the keynote and then the State of the Union, which is normally straight after lunch, the the intended audience is poles apart. I think. Yeah, I think. It's changed from the way it used to be, whereas the keynote genuinely was for the developers and they used to say the word developer in it an awful lot. Now there seems to be sort of clear blue water between the keynote and the State of the Union, just you know to distinguish them, because they know the media and, and the general public now watch the keynote. Yeah, definitely. So I thought it was good. I did like in the regular keynote how they kept making references for developers and show like the blue icon with a developer sort of color scheme on it. And I thought that was quite nice going there's something here for you developers, but we're not going to talk about it in the main in the main keynote, which I thought was good. But yeah, no, the State Union was interesting. But like I say, for me, being a bit techy was interesting, but got even a bit geeky for me very quickly. That's not necessarily a bad thing. It is a developer conference. So I'm quite glad that they're, they give the developers that sort of level of, of information that they need to know. And I agree with you. The main keynote, the sort of blue blueprint thing, great. They said API a lot. Developers know what that is. I think members of the public maybe have a clue what that is these days, but you know that, that's as techy as it got in many ways. Yeah, I'd imagine quite a few members of the public wouldn't know about it because you hear it all the time. Even at work, it's become common parlance just between how some of our systems interoperate and people will start throwing that word around. You wouldn't expect, you would even know what, what API is. Yeah, application programming interface for uh, any particularly non-technical uh, listeners but uh, I think it's as you say it's become quite a common thing now an API. I did watch a couple of the sessions that were of interest to me because there is some sort of technologies we use at work and uh, that, that, that are of interest here and of course I just like to keep my, my geeky fingers in that particular pie or dyke or whatever it is that uh, you're meant to keep your geeky fingers in. Three sessions I looked at uh, one was uh, improving object detection in CreateML, so that's Apple's own sort of machine learning tool to improve modeling things. And the bit I was interested in, the, the lecture was actually pitched towards photographs. So here's how you you can give a, a JSON file, so a particular formatted file, saying this is a tomato, it's at this coordinate, here's an orange, it's at this coordinate, in JSON to say what's in the picture, and then you run it through the CreateML tool, and it can, from that point on, recognize what is an orange, what is a lemon, what is whatever within the file, within those coordinates. So if you're always feeding through pictures of the same sort of size, it's able to look for points of interest in the photograph and do, do edge detection. So I thought that was quite interesting for for picture. I'll come to why I thought that was why I looked at that in the first place in a second. But from a sort of fairly 
well, it, there is a there is a high technical bar. You've got to know what Xcode is. You've got to recognize a bit of Swift. You've got to know what JavaScript is or J JSON is at the very least. It was a reasonably gentle introduction to how you could maybe train a machine learning tool to recognize particular things within a photograph. So I don't know if, that's, if that made a lot of sense to you, but yeah, I thought that was an interesting lecture. No, it does. I've seen some of these sessions a few years previous, and I think they're really good, like how they can, some of the, what you're talking about when they do more like the fundamentals, I think are really interesting and they do pitch it well, I think, for the less you know code minded among us i think they're, they're really good and insightful and it is amazing some of the tech they can do with ml these days yeah it is and uh, it's, it's a bend i'm interested in at the moment so the second one was swift charts in my my line of work we do a lot of sort of academic images for things you're trying to show data in interesting ways kaplan meyer curves things like that so i'm always quite interested in seeing what programmatically you can do with um with chart creation at work we use a language called r which is for uh, for analysis particularly we use a lot of python and, and numpy and, and things like that matplotlib comes up a lot so i'm interested to see what can be done from a swift uh, perspective and there has been a couple of initiatives to use Swift as an analytical language in the vein of R and Python. And you can get things like Jupyter Notebooks, this will mean something somebody maybe perhaps that we listen to, where you can run chunks of code in a web browser effectively in a language you're comfortable with and carry your analysis on it. So I was quite interested to see what Swift could bring to the table over and above these sort of standard libraries and the more analytical languages. Relatively straightforward, you can make some quite pretty charts. The, the, the session itself was very much pitched pitch towards the kinds of charts that you see in things like activity or your heart rate monitor or your blood pressure, you know, sort of fairly standard bar charts, some pie charts, bits and pieces like that, as opposed to sort of, sort of more advanced things that I, that I was hoping for, but, but interesting nonetheless. Yeah, well, I'm guessing they're going for the core audience, aren't they, at the moment of apps that want to recreate, like you say, bar charts, pie charts, and, and it's iteration one, so they're going to have done the easier stuff. And I guess hopefully they will follow up next year with, with version two and keep iterating on it. But no, I thought the charts did look actually really good. For somebody that's had to make charts in the past, it's not always easy. I'm broadly aware of what you can do with it, but I haven't gone into the sessions yet. I am planning to watch a bunch of sessions. I want to see all the desktop iPad stuff. Like what what can you now do on the iPad that you couldn't before? So it's, I've bookmarked quite a few. I just haven't had the time uh, to sit down. That's my homework for the week. Oh, fair enough. Well, we'll hold you to that next week. You need to get that in the show notes for next week. Did Chris watch the iPad desktop apps session? My last one, which was related to the first one, was uh, what's new in Vision. So Vision is the fundamental uh, API that they do the text detection with in photographs. Uh, so when you take a, the, the thing they demoed at WWC last week where they had video and they paused the video and you could copy and paste the code straight out of the video uh, sample and, and paste it into your application, Vision is the framework behind that that you use. So I was quite interested in taking that to see if I could do something with it, a worker problem we've got where you have a form that's always in the same format. Could you lift a particular number from a known part of it? Uh, not easily, it would seem, because there's boxes behind it, but I need to revisit it to see what's gone. But it's a very cool framework, and it gives you access to that sort of same fundamental technology that Apple are using for the text recognition and all these still images and video images that you use. Oh, okay, that's quite cool. I, so they are doing some amazing stuff and giving it out to everybody. It's quite interesting, isn't it? It is. And again, there are open source frameworks that make use of this sort of back-end stuff already. There's a, a library called Tesseract, which is actually developed by Apache, which does a lot of the machine learning, sorry, the, the text recognition learning that you're familiar with. I, I'm not sure if Apple are just using a bleeding edge of that or they're applying their own machine learning sort of algorithms to it, but it's certainly very, very accurate. And Tesseract has got better over the years, both in handwriting recognition and in sort of 
printed text recognition that you'd get in a PDF or a Word document to turn it back into a computer-readable code. But yeah, I think there's a little bit more to it than just sort of the open-source Tesseract library, but very interesting. That sounds really good. I'm looking forward to a few sessions, actually, because I think it feels like there's a lot inside iOS 16 and all the associated OSs that is less obvious just to consumers, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And that was it for me for follow-up. I think we've got a couple, of, we'll have some stuff next week, I'm sure, after this. But yeah, it's, it's been an interesting, it's been an interesting WWDC for lots of reasons, not just you know the big announcements, which we're going to cover again in a minute, but all these talks that have come out of it and sort of some of the buzz that's, it seems more positive than ever to me. Yeah, really positive. There's been very little on the, the the downers, the naysayers. Generally, general feedback, I think, yeah, feels really positive, actually. I think they've landed a really good good year this year because you're never going to please everybody. There's always the thing that somebody didn't get that they really want and thought was a lot. Yeah, I've got one little quibble, which we'll get to in our news rumour section, which I think we'll go to next. All right, rumours it is then. So first up, M2 iPads. I saw this and went, yes, this is what we want. I don't know what I do with an M2 iPad, if I'm honest, but hopefully they're going to show me. So there's talk of new M2 iPads coming end of this year. And then there's talk of a 14.1 inch M2 iPad next year, which I'm mixed on, if I'm honest. So I'm always keen on a new iPad. I'll see, see what they've got to do with it. It's actually going to help. But actually, I think I've reached what I need in an iPad now. And I know I've rushed the last two times to get the new iPad or the last three times even because I wanted more performance. Whereas actually, I think I've got what I need now. Unless it unlocks some new capability, I'm not looking for it. And I'm not even sure whether I'd want a bigger iPad. Now I can plug my monitor in and it use the whole screen. I would have done in previous time before I, iPad OS 16. But now we've got that, I'm quite happy with my 13-inch one. However, if they do release and I go and buy it, you can you, you can refer me back to this episode. Yeah, I think I will. I, I, I'm with you. I'm, they've really got to make the case for me of why an M2 is so much better than an M1 at this point. They seem to be clipping along quite quickly with the iPads. And I can see the point of a bigger one if they're going to allow you to do all the stuff that the stage manager is now allowing you to do. As you say, though, anybody who's using it in that sort of mode is likely a pro user like yourself. They have probably got an external display to plug it into. As you were talking there, it made me think, would they do something like Sidecar with another iPad? Would they let you do from one to another? And then you've got Stage Manager on both of them, so you could have a big one and a smaller iPad on the train, and you could do that kind of stuff. So it's not with the bounds of possibility that they advertise the M2 as being needed to do something like that with. Yeah, but what I'm thinking is with the M1 now, I can open up eight apps at once, four on my iPad screen, four on the monitor, that's eight apps, which, you know, you could do like a maximum of three before. And you can run a DVD, a DVD, a video over the top in the uh, little picture in picture and have quick notes. So I I don't know. I think they've, they've done loads. And I think it's really good the engineering they've done to make the OS now work and work in this way. Curious to see where they go with it. But I don't know. Is they're going to have to tell a story rather than just more horsepower? Because I think the M1 is an amazing feat. Yeah, we've seen the horsepower. And up until now, I think they've got a really... Not a great story for why they need all the horsepower, frankly. So, I, I was going to say, I do wonder though whether Final Cut Pro or something is coming or a sibling of where they've now done the reference mode on the iPad 13-inch uh, screen where you've got the Pro XDR screen or whatever they call it, and then you and it plugs into a 6K Pro XDR as well. So I wonder whether they, maybe they've got something another shoe to drop and maybe you'll need an M2 to drive some of the monster apps. Like, who knows? Because... You may well get more RAM with the M2 as well because they will take up to 24 gig instead of 16. 
Yeah, I mean, that is one of the allowances that the M2 chip will give you over the M1, so it's sort of hardware baked in, but you pay a lot more for that. I mean, one of the things I noticed about the M2 uh, MacBook Air and MacBook Pro, although I hesitate to call it any sort of Pro, is that you're back to 8 gigs of RAM again, you know, when you configure them, and that, that's just not good enough for in this day and age. Yeah, I, I thought it might have raised the base level with them, but they haven't. They should put 12 gigs in them at least. You can't even get 12 gigs, can you? It's but, got to be divisible by eight. Hasn't it? Well, it does, but it seems crazy to me if you can put 24 gigs in it, surely you should be able to specify half the amount of RAM. I mean, you could always slightly mismatch RAM slots back in the days of PC. They'd have to go in the same slots, but you could slightly mismanage the sizes you got. So I guess it's whatever comes out of the fabs when they when they produce the silicon on a chip for the M1 and the M2. It just feels very nickel and dimey again to me to put eight gigs of RAM in that chip. Mag, that eight gigs has kind of been the... the the stable for the last what six years or something of, of the ram you're going to get it, it we seem to have plateaued there but yet the the upper bounds has gone on massively to what 100 odd gig or is it 256 gig now i can't remember well i think 128 gigs certainly very achievable in most desktops if you get a mac pro i think you can go up to 256 yeah that's i mean that is an awful lot of memory even my gaming pcs only get 32 gigs of ram and it i, I gotta say it struggles to hit that sometimes so i I, it, I suppose if you're a video editor or you're using an awful lot of machine learning or you've got huge files in memory then of course you can use up all the memory that's there but but a low end eight gigs not enough i think we can both agree on that so next rumor is uh, 12 and 15 inch MacBooks, which is slightly more dubious as, as far as people are con uh, some of the sort of commentary I've read about them since. I loved my 12 inch MacBook, the one that they tried to push as a replacement of the air. It had the terrible keyboard that, that broke all the time, but it was a truly thin, truly portable, excellent little machine. And I kind of miss it. it. If you're the kind of user that just needs to get a lot of battery life, get set on a train, get something done, it was the perfect size laptop. I love that form factor. I had an 11-inch Air, a couple of generations of it, and I loved it. It was a great machine. Used to dock it to a monitor in the office or dock it at home. I loved it. I'm a really big fan of the small small form factor where you can get a lot done. So hopefully it will come make a comeback. Who knows? Yeah, the, the lineup's getting a bit cluttered, though, isn't it? You think at the moment you've got the 13-inch MacBook Air, MacBook Pro. You're going 14-inch, 14.X-inch. Uh, MacBook Pros with a MagSafe and then you're up to the is it 16 inch is the next size up yeah is the 16 inch MacBook uh, M1 Pros and Ultras and things like that do you need to go 12 13 14 15 16 you know I don't know if there's that much of a gap in the laptop lineup to desire to require it in the middle middle end particularly I kind of agree with you but I did hear a comment on upgrade today and they said Apple sells what 80 90 percent of their devices are laptops in the Mac market they've only got four main bodies I was like, actually, I can kind of, whereas in the desktop market where they only sell, say, 10% of their Macs, they've got three different types. So I can kind of see maybe they do want to have more in there, more more choice. I don't know. I mean, they do sell more iPads than they do laptops in Macs. Like, yeah. like they're, they're different bodies that you can buy them. Yeah. At the same time, the, their biggest selling product is the iPhone, and there's only two different, well, three different form factors there. You know, I've got the Mini, which is about to go away, and you've got a big one and a small one. So I, I don't think there's that differentiation between a 14-inch laptop and a 15-inch laptop that it's really worth the difference. Yeah, that's fair, I guess. But I guess if you're not a pro user, but you just want a big screen, why do you have to pony up the extra pro money? Why can't you put a big screen on your slightly cheaper base level processor 
Yeah, I suppose. I guess time will tell. And the price matters as well, I guess. That if it's significantly cheaper than an M1, sorry, M2 as it would be at that point, I guess, Ultra, then maybe there is something in that to get a bit more screen out. But again, we've just said, what you do you do with your iPad? You go and plug a screen into it. I suspect you probably do the same with a laptop or you'd run your cheaper iPad in sidecar mode. So it's all very sort of give an inch, take an inch there, here and there. So yeah, I'm not I'm not sold on the requ the, the 12-inch SE, don't get me wrong. Lovely little laptop. I suppose I, my own argument becomes a bit circular when I can see a 12-inch, not a 13-inch. But the smaller side makes more sense to me than sort of somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I, I can kind of see where you're at. But then I look at something like my wife who never docks her laptop into the screen in, in the office room that we've got in the house. So I, I don't know. It, there's been rumour around it for a long time, and I think we're starting to see some of these long rumours pay out, so so maybe it is true. Maybe it is. There's been, a lot of the rumours have come true recently, haven't they? Although we're still waiting for that um, M2 Mac Mini, but you know, I'm sure it'll be along any minute now. I wonder whether some of it's supply constraint. I think a lot of it might be supply constraint. As we've been through a couple of weeks back, there there aren't you can't get a Mac, you can't get an iPad at the higher end at all at the moment, so it's entirely possible. And yet here they are releasing more laptops into the mix. So it's amazing, isn't it? How they get, I'd be interested to see how they fulfill the orders and, and what, what the delays are going to be. Yep, yep. Anyway, I think that'll do us for rumours. We can move on to news. And our first item is our perennial favourite, the Dutch regulator and Apple's ability to turn in an app that satisfies the requirements for billing and compilation. And actually, they've made Apple have made the Dutch regulator happy. They've actually filed an app that completely approves with the Dutch Consumer and Markets Authority uh, saying that Apple now complies with the rules regarding dating apps, their ability to let customers pay in different ways other than on Apple's own payment method. They go on to say that this is why the ACM, the Dutch regulator, no longer needs to impose a new order subject to periodic penalty payments. Over the past few months, ACM has collected information from dating app providers and independent experts before its assessment Apple complied with the order. So 50 million euros later, possibly a little bit more than that now, Apple have finally given in and done what they wanted them to. It's a lot of money to waste. I know it's not much to them, but it's still a waste of money, isn't it? It really is. And they also, Apple dropped the requirement that dating apps had to compile as a completely separate binary. So it seemed like this was always possible, as we suspected. Apple could just, you know, let it go. It kind of feels like with the self-repair program, they were just trying to tick the box and do it in the worst janky way possible so nobody really did it, which isn't very nice, is it? No, it's not very nice. It does leave a bad taste in your mouth. So well done, Apple. I suspect this is the first of many such dominoes to fall around the world for them with this kind of thing. Yeah, well, at least it's another one out of the way. It is. And I forgot to add it to the show notes, but did you see the EU actually passed that regulation about future, all future phones must have USB-C connectors now as well? Yeah, I was thinking about this. Is this just phones? Because why isn't it Kindle? Kindle still do the Oasis without USB-C and it cheeses me off every time. My ring doorbell, battery has to be charged with a micro USB. Uh, I'm blaming Amazon now for this. But what, why is it just phones? Why is it not all all goods that need some form of USB charging? I think that was the intention, wasn't it? Is I think you can start with phones because they're the biggest seller. You know, and there's so many of them on the yep. market that it's hard to argue with more people have got a phone than have got a fancy doorbell with some sort of particular component to it. But, but why is it not just consumer electronics that need to be recharged, need, need the same connector done? I, I have no argument with you here. I, I, you and I have talked at length about how we were happily, mostly living the USB-C lifestyle, apart from our phones, pretty much. And I was looking at new Kindles over the weekend, and certainly the Paperwhite, the newest, newest version of the Paperwhite, is USB-C. Yeah, my son's got that. My, so his Kindle is better than mine, and I've got the top-of-the-range flagship model. How bonkers is he? He's got the kids' one. 
How bonkers is that? That is crazy. Explain something to me. I was looking at these because, you know, going on holiday soon, which we'll have to record a podcast in advance so we don't leave our listeners, you know, without with a wake from sleep when, when we're off doing our various bits and pieces when we're not in front of microphones. The top-end Kindle is £220, I think, something like that for the Kindle Oasis. Uh, that is correct, but you, you've got to buy it at the right time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and actually... And you, did you just miss the sale? I, I didn't buy it, and of course I've missed the sale, because I'm Scottish and I always miss the sale. But it made me go and look at what the alternatives are, because there are alternatives to it. And there's a thing called Kobo, who make e-readers, and actually sell books as well. And the Kobo device looks far nicer than the Amazon one. It looks, It actually looks paper thin, never mind paper white. You can it has it can come with a stylus if you want, so you can annotate against your books, or you can use it as a little drawing tablet. And it was two hundred and thirty quid, although there was an offer on on it for it was down to one hundred and eighty, I think. So it seems there is still innovation in this space, other than just making the backlight a little bit warmer or making it waterproof or something. It's just the e-reader market seems to belong to Amazon, and nobody really seems to go very far elsewhere. It's a bit of a shame. Yeah, I kind of agree. And interesting, it looks like Kobo is owned by the company that bought Play.com, if you remember Play.com. I know nothing about the Kobo ones. It is fair to say, sorry, I'm just look, looking on their app, on their site now. I kind of agree with you in that yeah, Amazon seemed to own it, but yet doing zero innovation in that area. The software's got better, to be fair, you know, slowly they keep dropping out good updates that hadn't really moved. But like I said, they're not really innovating. Like, there's no talk for stylus. They haven't released a new Oasis for ages. I do like the Oasis, the top of the line one. It is waterproof, which has been really useful for me lately. It um, does have page buttons, which I wanted. I don't want to touch the screen because I always find the screen touching pieces didn't really work when I'm in a book. And what else does it have that I wanted? Oh, it's got really good backlight and it does warmth and stuff, which is really good. But I would have bought mine on a sale of some description. Yeah, I guess when you're the market leader by such a way, which all the Kindle devices are, why do you need to? You can keep knocking out the same devices with very minimal you know, upgrades over the years anyway. But it just, it seems to me when the Kindle launched, it was really an interesting device. There was like a big one for magazines for students and there was a came in all sorts of sizes and they had keyboards and they didn't have keyboards and they tried things. And now even looking at sort of the differences between the standard Kindle, the Paperwhite and the Oasis, it's quite hard to actually make an argument why you should spend at the highest end of the market when the mid-range seems good enough. And actually, for most people, the cheapest one probably is because you still need to go and buy probably a new charger, as we've just discussed, and uh, some sort of binder to put it in, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It seems like they could go a little bit further. So I bought my first Oasis in 2018. It then died. I then bought another one in 2020 for £170. And then managed to fix my first one and gave it to my wife. Well, that worked out quite well. That's a lot of money for it. I mean, I suppose that's a lot of books, isn't it? <laughs> and I felt bad about buying it, though, because it was like, there was nothing wrong with my first one and it, and the newer one wasn't, and now it's been upgrade. But I did buy it, and I do love it. I do use it quite a bit. I read a bit of both, if I'm honest. I read a lot of paper books and Kindle books. I kind of flip between them. Yeah, I get it. I mean, it's more for holidays because I can suddenly start consuming books again, which I don't I only read journal articles most of the time these days or bits and pieces on websites. So it's quite nice to settle down with a book, be it a real one or be it on a on some sort of e-ink screen. Yeah, I, I love the Kindle. I'm a big fan of it. So question then, if I bought a Kobo, can I read my Kindle books on a Kobo? A very light bit of research led me to believe that there is a way to convert them, yes. The word convert, you've lost me, I'm bored now. I don't think it's difficult. I think it's you visit, well, I, I, I suppose I should be careful. I, I think if you Googled it, it's more or less a three-click process from what I can okay. see. 
So, and you can batch it. You can go, give me all of these, do this to it, and it appears over here in this format, and you can get on and do it. So it didn't seem particularly labor-intensive, and you didn't need to have a degree in computer science to work out all the various bits and pieces to make it work. Sorry, I'm just looking at the prices of some of these. So the, the one with the stylus is £349. Yeah. The one without a stylus but could do it is £250. And then you're down to £200. So they're not cheap, are they? They're not cheap. But again, they're offering you things that the Kindles don't have, which is a point of distinction for them. And as you just said, your Oasis isn't a cheap device. Uh, no, not at all. And I have always fancied something nice where you could mark up and stuff because I thought it would be quite good if you're in a meeting just use it for taking notes but i'm hoping with center stage stage manager my ipad mini will become my note-taking device of choice well on that note you know we are in the news section now and i thought a news article that sprung out to me was that stage manager won't run on pre-m1 ipads because and i'll read this quote it's from any richie whose commentary i don't always get on with the best but it's an interesting thing so the stage manager manager experience requires large internal memory incredible flat incredibly fast storage and flexible external display io all of which are delivered by ipads with the m1 chip now for years apple have been telling us that that's the most powerful thing in the market i have an ipad pro from 2018 i want to say the large one that has quite a lot of ram quite a good chip and is still more powerful than quite a lot of the uh, computers I used to run windowing systems on back in the day. If you go back to sort of Windows uh, 3.1, early editions of the Mac, Amiga OS and all the rest of it, you can run a windowing system on not a lot of power with not a lot of memory. So I I, I take a little bit of task with the argument that you, you need the bestest, fastest thing to run um, Stage Manager on. I mean, you can give me your experience of running on an iPad. I've tried it on a Mac and we'll talk about it later. But I didn't like that very much. <laughs> No, I can kind of see why people are getting a bit gripey about it. But then I think, you know what? It runs really well on the M1. So maybe they just said, this is our baseline. Maybe they've tried on the older ones and it's too much of a compromise or hard work to retrofit it because I'm guessing there are some slight differences in the architecture. But also, like the 2020 iPad Pro, which they probably didn't sell many of, was a slight iteration on the 18, 2018 one. And it had two more gig of RAM than the base model. Is it worth it for that small amount of readers to make it work with the, the readers, users to make it work for the 2021? I don't know. I can kind of argue this both ways. I, I agree with you. I mean, we've run windowing systems on devices with four gig of RAM, but then they are retrofitting this to iPad OS. You know, is it, it's not been built to do this from the ground up, whereas Mac OS has been built to do multitasking from day one, whereas they're slowly been adding it into the iPad over time. So I could argue either way. I'm kind of happy they've just drawn the lines at M1 and newer because they could have just waited and gone M2 or newer or or whatever. So maybe this is the best compromise. Maybe it is the best compromise. I, I still think there's a little bit of me that thinks they could have made a bit more of an effort to get this working and, and optimized it. But, you know, I'll, I'll take your argument. And let's face it, by the time that the operating system is released, the chances are there may be a few more M1 or M2 iPads kicking around anyway if they start to release them. So they will start to get into people's hands. And and at the end of the day, they want to sell devices to people. And a good way to sell devices to people is this point of differentiation. So I can't knock them for wanting to make money. They're very good at it. I can knock them slightly for being, you know, pushing forward with that obsolescence. Because if you look at some of the devices, they're obsoleting. We're back to 2017 now. There's a bunch of computers from 2017, for example, that have they've been pushed into obsolescence by macOS. And it feels like they're getting that way with iPads too. And it, certainly the Apple Watch, you know, last week they announced WatchOS 9. 
the Apple Watch Series 3 isn't supported. They still sell the Apple Watch Series 3 on the website. Yeah, I'd be more perturbed with this. They shouldn't be selling something they won't support. I've always pushed for work for us to have iPhones because I could buy one today and it'd be supported for five years. If you can buy an Apple Watch, it'll be supported for the new OSs for, for four months. I just think that's bonkers to me. There's obviously some shoe to drop here with getting rid of that model, but they, that shoe should have dropped by now, I think. They've been keeping that one going far too long and they just need to delete it from their lineup. Just back to the iPad briefly, though, I think the OS coming out this year is in 2022. That iPad came out in 2018. It's had four years of good OS updates. It will still be supported. It still does more today than it did when you bought it. It just doesn't do the new hotness. Sure, but I seem to recall that the Mac Dev Kit, when they released the the you know when they released the Apple Silicon, was pretty much running that chip. You know, and you were being able to build new versions of your app on that chip. So it's plenty powerful for being able to do something like that. It is, but then is iPad OS plenty inefficient? I don't know. Like I say, they are retrofitting. I don't know. It's a fair point, and uh, you know, it it makes a good point of discussion. So we'll see what happens. But you know, there's pros and cons to the argument. I do get it. I'd rather they draw the line though and it run consistently well than they draw a lower line and it's not good. I mean, we've all had OSs on the wrong hardware that is too slow and they shouldn't have supported it. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Good stuff. One more story for us then in, in news. Oh, just very briefly, just before we started recording, Apple TV Plus is now available on Sky in the UK. That was it. Just We were talking about Apple TV Plus being available in more places and this literally just came into my inbox because I've got Sky. Well, that's really good. I mean, you can now get it on everything. And one of the the very first story we're going to talk about next in the media, I think that lines up really well with Apple TV Plus being available on Sky. Uh, I can certainly get it on, I think, every console I've got in the house, with the exception of the Nintendo Switch at the moment. And it works really well. I still think it's a terrible app when you're actually in and using it for trying to follow up on, on shows and things. But I'm glad that they're making it accessible to people because it's a terrible app, but they're wonderful shows. Uh, that's fair. And actually, one of my feedback for later on on TVRS is there's nothing to report in TVRS 16, which is odd seeing as they are pushing a streaming service and they've made no improvements to the streaming app in essence. I wonder if they're making room in all the Apple announcements to have a media-focused event where they go, here's our up-and-coming events for the for the next season, here's the things we're renewing, here's the actors we're working with, oh, and here's some new hardware for it. It's not beyond the realms of possibility that they do that now. Or here's a better up software player and we now do x-ray or whatever it may be who, who knows yeah should we move on to media let's move on to media because it's relevant and uh, i thought this was very exciting announced this morning that apple are making season one of for all mankind free to stream for a limited period of time they don't say how limited but you could if you haven't seen for all mankind i'd say and i'll get your take on this in a second chris rush now and watch for all mankind season one while it's free yeah why wouldn't you it's a great show it is good i enjoyed season one i am halfway through season two I think between WWDC and a few other things, I've just got a bit behind with it, but very much plan to get back to it so I can then watch season three, which I think you were just about to talk about. I am going to talk about it. So I obviously enjoyed it the first time around. I've re-binged it and I got it all done just in time. The Thursday before the Friday morning, I watched the very last episode of uh, season two, episode uh, 10 of For All Mankind season two. So I was there on Friday uh, early evening to watch the first episode of season three and they've kept the standard going it's just as tense and just as well acted and just as well written you know and tightly scripted as as the first two seasons so far so i'm really impressed well i need to get a move on then and finish season two you do because we are at some point going to have to try out that share play thing watching something together maybe we'll do the dinosaur thing (laughs) yeah no but yeah we should definitely watch something together that'd be really good 
yeah, it's a good, it's, it's good homework for the podcast is how well does it work. Cool. Good. The last thing I had on media really was I have been watching Obi-Wan. I know we talked about Obi-Wan last week or was it the week before possibly? Have you had a chance to look at that yet? I've watched the first two, I think. I haven't watched any more than that because I, I think that was all that was out at the time and I've not circled back to it. I kind of want to finish off All Mankind season two first while I'm in the thick of it and then circle back to Obi-Wan. That's fair enough. There's too much good stuff. There is too much good stuff, but there is only six episodes of Obi-Wan, so there's not that many to go, and you'll be done. You'll be- Do you know what? Actually, something that does appeal to me is a short TV show. Yeah, it, it has its it has its moments. So, no, that's that was it, really, for me on media. I hadn't... Obviously, I was consumed by watching For All Mankind, and I thought Obi-Wan is something you've got to watch on because it's an event television. Quite a lot of people are talking about it, so it's definitely worth following up. And certainly, most of my family like to watch it too. In fact, my youngest daughter, after watching it, went back off and started watching the Star Wars from the beginning. Attack of the Clones. Not Attack of the Clones. The Phantom Menace, you know, which I think is a step too far. But... There you go. It's quite nice that she uh, she feels keen enough to go and watch it and just want to watch Ewan McGregor from the start, I think. But do you know what, though? I, I'm probably a bit like this. When you get involved in a world, you kind of want to consume all of the world, whether it's good or bad um, or indifferent. I think that's quite quite good and quite healthy sometimes. That you want to you know just consume all of the all of the uh, properties that are out for it, whether it's a book, whether it's a show, a TV show or a film. I, th- I, I don't know. I'd probably do the same. Years and years ago, back in 1995, a film called Heat came out with Robert Neer in it. And the director, Michael Mann, he's actually doing a book called Heat 2, which is all around the characters. I think it might be a prequel, actually, of how they ended up there. And I'm interested to read that, even though it's not a film. I'd love him to make a follow-up film. It would probably never live up to expectation, but they're doing a book instead, all in the same universe. So I'd be quite interested um, to see that. What was I going to say to you? I was going to say, before we move on, I was recommended a TV show today, starting on Channel 4 soon, very geeky. It's called Undeclared Attack. Sorry, I just had to look up the name from my notes. And it's apparently like a cyber, about a cyber attack on the uk obviously we're in it i do a lot on security in my day job and somebody recommended this to me outside of my it team actually so i haven't got a link for it i will go try and find one but i just thought i mentioned while we're in the media section now it's interesting you said that there was an advert i can't remember what i was going to watch i think it was taskmaster last week uh, and there was an advert uh, for that came on the, the uk is about to be attacked this is going to happen i'm based at gchq it was the prime minister but simon Pegg was in it so I suspect that's what you're talking about. I didn't, I didn't remember the name, but that's Undeclared Attack, is it? Yep, that's the one, and I will add it to it. Good stuff. And that's on Channel 4, which is good. Nice to see it. Abs- a different streaming channel. Well, absolutely. Right. And we, we've mentioned Channel 4 a couple of times, and if you, ha- if you don't watch Taskmaster, you should, however you can get hold of it. But yeah, I think we do tend to focus on the Apple TV stuff, but for obvious reasons, or an Apple-focused podcast. But it is quite nice to keep your your eye in with all these other things that are going, particularly if it's good. And let's face it, Simon Pegg's work on television in the past has been pretty good with Spaced back in the day. For those that watch The Boys, he certainly plays a character in The Boys as well. And if you don't watch hyper-violent superhero stuff on uh, on Amazon Prime, it's a very good show, but uh, bloody to say the least. He's awesome. He's done so well, hasn't he? He's just, he's a really good actor. He's a good writer. He's done some brilliant stuff. So no, I'm looking forward to it. So yep. I'm going to watch that as well, I think. Good. Okay, let's move on. Gaming. Uh, just very briefly, I bought Legacy of Thieves collection on my PS5, and that's basically Uncharted 4 and whatever came after it. I can't remember what they're called, but it's a remake. I got it super cheap for about 20 quid, so it's about £10 for each of the games, and it's just really good. I really enjoyed playing it. I've been playing a bit with my children, and they've been helping me 
work out what to do and i just thought it was really well done just very enjoyable shame there's a bit of swearing in it. it'd be great to turn that off as i think you and i were talking about tv shows it'd be great if they did a kid soundtrack on some things so um but that i just wanted to feedback because i haven't played any new games for a while yeah, that, that is interesting, and I, I worked my way through most of the Uncharted games, i got to say, although I haven't been able to bring myself to watch the film yet, even though Tom Holland's in it. And I'm just I'm looking at the uh, the release of, of Uncharted games, and I played the original Uncharted back on PS3 in 2007, I think. Wow, when the iPhone came out. Yeah, exactly, and I'm looking at the list here. I did two, I did three. I wasn't even aware there was one called Uncharted Golden Abyss on the PS Vita, or Uncharted Fight for Fortune, also on the PS Vita. But then Uncharted 4 came out for the PS4 in 2016. Wow, so it's a six-year-old game I'm playing, and I'm enjoying it, to be fair. Well, that's good. a good time. And then the last one was Uncharted The Lost Legacy, also on PS4 in 2017. And I know that one, I haven't played it, only because Claudia Black continues doing the voiceover for one of the characters. And if you watched Farscape, she was Aaron soon in that, and she was in Pitch Black with Vin Diesel as well. Right, okay. There you go, I've learned something new. But yeah. I've, so I've got those last two ones to play. They've remastered them for the PS5. I think they retail at 40 quid. I got them for 20-odd quid, so... Fair enough. When I bought my PS5, I was offered Uncharted 4, I think, as one of the sort of uh, state of play games. It was about 12 games they were offering if, you, if you'd if you purchased a PS5 and you had the PS Plus subscription. And I'm pretty sure Uncharted 4 was one of them. Full version. Was it? So the, the, it's an updated PS5 one you have to pay. It's, okay, interesting. But I thought 10 quid for something I've never played, I'll give it a go. No, fair enough. And it is an excellent game. It's very long, though. I'm about halfway through, which possibly also explains why I've not watched many TV shows. <laughs> no more Gran Turismo then. You're uh, you're fully moved on to something else. I did open it because they gave me a car for my birthday. Oh. I got a Honda S2000 for free. <laughs> That's very good. Good. Okay, I've got a couple of games to feedback on. Both, well, one's an Apple Arcade one, and I don't think I can say the word. It's it's Sping, but it's S-P exclamation mark N-G. It was the game of the week this week on Apple Arcade. It came up when I happened to be in the App Store looking for something else. I thought, you know, I'll give it a go. It looks interesting. And it's very like one of the original sort of era iPhone games with games like Cut the Rope and things like that, where you had centers on the screen with the character hanging on it and you had to collect jewels it's like that but there's a bit more momentum to it they're extremely well designed levels the idea is you collect the stars or collect the little glowing balls around the level when you do it there's momentum in it you can drop your little character on onto various things in it and as you move them into as they hit points of interest on the map they spin you can let them go and they get flung off against the walls of the map which you can bounce so the physics in it is very good it's extremely creative, I'd say, from a level design point of view. I showed it to my eldest daughter, who has done 34 levels of it, I think, and just sat addicted to it for over an hour, which is very unusual. Because like you, she normally just to be found playing threes. So I think that's high recommendation. Love threes. It does look quite good. I Sorry, I was just opening it up while you were talking. It does look quite cool. I can see why you think it's like Cut the Rope. Did you know, actually, Cut the Rope is in Apple Arcade. There's like a redone version, which... My youngest son quite enjoys. Also, side, side follow-up on threes, the performance on iOS 16 is awful. It's, it's got really laggy animations when you're when you're sliding across, which is a little frustrating for somebody who plays a lot of threes. I haven't seen it. I will try and give it a go if I get a minute. I think it's worth a look. Sping. And then just... As an aside, we'd been talking about Apex Legends Mobile. I played a lot of Apex Legends on the PlayStation and the Xbox and the PC. I've played it a lot. I thought, just for completeness sake, I better download the uh, iOS version. So I downloaded the iOS version. I thought, actually, I'll try the iPad version. 
So I'll put it on my 2018 iPad Pro. Very laggy to begin with, I gotta say. You know, so there was maybe a performance hit on that chip after all, or maybe it's because I'm running a beta. I don't know what the answer is. If you're saying it's laggy playing threes, then maybe I should blame the software on it rather than the iPad itself. Quite hard to play a first person shooter game on a screen. You know, very difficult. So I thought, I wonder if the PlayStation controller works. So I did a little bit of Bluetooth hookup, got my PS4 controller, an older PS4 controller connects to it, had a game and won straight out the gate. And then I won the next seven in a row after that as well. So there is a serious advantage to hooking up a PS4 controller to Apex Legends. If you like a first person shooter, it's free to play. They do try and sort of convince you to do a little bit of in-app purchase. It's not too egregious, I gotta say, but Connect a controller to it. Get your Xbox controller out, get a PS4 controller out. You'll have a much better time. I was quite impressed overall. Becomes. Well, there you go. There's more homework for you, I think. Get Apex Legends on that M1 iPad and let's have a game together. <laughs> it's a thought. See if Game Center works for it. Still don't understand Game Center. No, nobody understands Game Center. Good. Okay, I think that'll do us for games. And that takes us on to the main show. So we said at the top... We've both installed some betas. You you a few more than me. I, to be clear, have installed the iOS beta, the iPadOS beta on my older iPad, and macOS. And you've installed a couple more than that, right? Yeah, so I've, I've gone for the whole, whole suite because I thought, oh, you know what, I'll try it out. And look, I'm fortunate. I've got a spare Apple TV in my shed, which the family don't use. I didn't want to do it on a family one and find out it's got issues. And I did just do my watch because why not? I've done everything else. I thought I'd give the watch a whirl. So where, where do you want to start? It, this is going to be a bit all over the place, I think. I think right at the top, we should say, don't install betas on production devices because something bad will happen. So I, I will give my, my hold my hands up because I didn't follow my own advice and I installed uh, Mac OS on my main Mac laptop and the piece of software we use to capture the podcast, Audio Hijack, does not work on the latest version of Mac OS. Yeah, so I'd agree with that. You shouldn't install it on any of your main devices unless you're ready for a little bit of pain. There's always a bit of pain, whether something crashes, whether something's a bit buggy, whether, you know, just it's going to be slow, it's going to drink a load of battery. There's always something. So I wouldn't rush to do it unless you are prepared for some upset. That's a massive caveat up front. Yeah, so it's worth saying, and just to reassure everybody, I had another Mac uh, lying around we're back recording the podcast using the software that we'd use with only a slight bit of pain to get it up and running again so at the end of the day it was fine but only because i had a backup plan you know, it would not have been a clever thing to do otherwise so major caveats uh, do you want to start with ios chris because it's probably the thing we've used the most yeah so ios i mean i'm not being funny if you look at my home screen it looks no different but if you look at my lock screen it looks very different so quite like in a few of the widgets like in the some of the wallpaper positioning so I th I, it's looking quite neat and just even having the, the clock in a different font just a nice change I, I found a few bugs with the resizing paper and you end up with like black strips going around and things and if you then go and allocate or a picture somewhere you know you can go into photos and make this my wallpaper that doesn't seem to play nicely I, I think we've seen an early version aren't we and it's often the way beta one is always a bit ropey and then you get lots of changes in beta two which i hope will come next week and then beta three a few weeks after that but i quite like that what, what do you think yeah i'm with you and just a note on the sort of progression of betas quite often the first one's okay and then the second one is appalling and all sorts of things start to go wrong because what we've seen is one that's been stable for a little bit before they put it out to developers and more things often break in the second beta. So again, even even if you think it looks all right now, it's not going to stay all right. And my overall experience with it has is it 
beta one has been incredibly stable actually. I've only had one thing go wrong and that's the keyboard has crashed on me a couple of times with a keyboard error. But close the app, open it up again and, and, and you're up and running. Uh, and other than that, almost every app, and I haven't seen sort of the lag issues that you, that you were describing in, in threes, other than battery being massively impacted by running the beta, which is again often the case because there's, there's bug testing code going on in the background and a lot of these things. It's been very stable. I've been quite impressed with that. Yeah, I, I'd agree. I think I think the I, the iPhone has been really good. Actually, to be fair, nearly all the bits has been really good. I was away over the weekend and didn't really have any major issues whatsoever. So I can't really fault it, just the battery drain. I did notice on my watch and on my phone. For me, the lock screen, I'd agree with you. It's quite nice having a different font on your lock screen on the clock. It, just, it does make it stand out a little bit more. Once you unlock it, it, the phone does look exactly the same with the exception of the little search thing, uh, which you can tap on instead of, as well as swiping down for spotlight. You can turn that off. I don't mind it. It's okay. I can live with it. If it, if no, it, it kept bugging me because he kept pinging up saying search. I, I don't need that. <laughs> Horses for courses. I, the lock screen thing, I quite like it. I quite like the weather one, which I can I know I can look outside and get the weather or I can look on Carrot and get the weather. But just tapping on your phone and seeing that the rain's about to start is, is quite a nice little feature, i got to say, as well as having the complications on the lock screen. That's been quite handy. Yeah, I think it's, it is cool. And I like the way that you push and hold and you can swipe between the screens, which is very like the watch face navigation. And it's great how they found something that works on one device and brought it to another. And it's the same kind of with the dock that's on the iPhone, on the iPad, on the Mac. They've used the same sort of metaphors, same with the app switches on all the devices. So now I like it. I like seeing, I can, for me, I can check my share price where I work. I can see what rain I've got and what the temperature is going to be, which is the things I look at most days. So it's really cool. I think it's going to get better. I think we've got an early release, haven't we? So they've got, what, a couple of months. It's going to improve. Yeah, yeah, it's got time. When you were talking about being able to lift, effectively, it's a smart background remove, isn't it? So they showed it in the keynote. You've got a picture of your kids or something like that, and you want to put it on your lock screen. You can tap very gently on, on a picture in photos, lift it up, and then still navigate around the app in, in the background, which are quite something I've never done before, actually. Having lifted up a picture, back, 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 put it on the lock screen, you know, off you go. Work quite well, less well with pets. I've got to say. But yeah, it, that, that was quite an impressive thing to do. A lot going on on the phone to do something like that and moving through the, and, and keeping the clipboard effectively live with your finger. I know you can do it to reorganize and things, but it's not it's not the mode I'm in when I'm using my phone generally. So that sort of multitasking going on or the ability to sort of move between apps like that. But I thought that worked quite well. Uh, that's just technology they've pulled down from the iPad though, isn't it? Where you can grab something and hold it in essence. And they've made it work on the phone, which I think is quite neat but it is really buggy because i've got a picture of my son in front of me and if you flick up you then end up with two pictures of my son which is just really bizarre how i don't understand how i managed to get into this state of affairs but there you go what i would say though is when you try and cut somebody out or, or cut out an animal how do you know how to do it there is it's the least intuitive thing i didn't even think it was in this beta because i was looking for a button and maybe i'm a bit old school yeah, I agree. As with a couple of recent Apple apps, the discoverability is poor. I had this with, the, we were talking about the text recognition before. I couldn't figure out how to make it work. But you just, it automatically, you just held down and copied and pasted like you did with, with other text on the Mac or, or, or on a phone. So there needs to be, and I know they've added a button to that since. There's a little live text widget you can tap on on the screen now that will read the text. I agree with you. There should be something on the screen in the same way that you'll see the adverts for Google Pixel things where you go swipe a circle around that person and delete them. They should have something sim similar to this. That's what I want to lift. That's what I want to cut out. Yeah, they need like an onboarding mechanism, don't they, for his new features and how you do it. Or 
didn't happen with help. You don't get any help in apps anymore, do you? No, and in fact, it's been funny running the beta again because the the hints app has started firing up again for me every so often. Going, did you know you can do this? Did you know you can do that? And, yeah, I knew you could do that because actually, all of this stuff is for iOS. You know, the iOS version before, so it's not very helpful, hintful that you're giving me. Did you ever run iPhoto? I think it was on the iPad, and there was a button you could push. I thought it was like a question mark, and basically, little yellow labels would appear all over the app and tell you what all the all the buttons did. I wonder if we ever do anything like that again because that was very clever. It's it's a re- weird tension though, isn't it? Because a vaguely technical user is like, don't show me any of that. I just want to get on and find it all out for myself. But then there's so much stuff you don't find because you sort of skip past the the instructions. So it's tricky. It's tricky. It is tricky. And I get they want to keep the app clear, but come on. Yeah, I'm with you. So the other thing I was quite impressed with, and I know because you're the only person I've been able to, te- to use it with, is messaging. Is the set as unread, edit, delete messages works flawlessly. Never used it. I know you have, but I'm not. If I send the wrong message, I'll just go. Sorry, I sent the wrong message. I quite like having the ability to do it, particularly spelling mistake. A mistake that's annoyed me. I know you'll just send a little sort of carrot thing saying in correction. But I always I quite, do the up arrow with the correction. Yeah, I quite like to actually correct my text. So I'm glad that it's there. I think it'll be a very useful thing. And there are people that send the wrong messages to the wrong people in their chat. So I think it's a useful thing to have. We've all done it. I guess if you send something super embarrassing, you've got a hope of, of stopping it. I don't generally text stuff too embarrassing, I guess. Also, I can't spell, so I don't always know when I've typed, made, made a mistake. I don't know. If you just paste your shopping list into your work chat, even that's quite embarrassing, I think. So just the ability to do something like that, remove something like that's quite handy. Yeah, fair enough. No, it's, it's good they're doing it. It's good they're just moving, moving the bar forwards. Just to expound on that for a little bit, I don't know what it's like in your work with teams and things like that, but you get the odd instance of people pasting their passwords, you know, that they're about to paste into something else into the work chat app, and you think, well, that's not very good, is it? But these things do happen. Yeah, no, we've all done it. We have all definitely done it. Yeah, so delete's a good thing. The other thing I tried was the dictation. So the feature they demonstrated during the keynote was you could text and then you'd be able to click on the text where you'd been dictating and dictate your changes as well. And again, it worked really well. Even with my accent, it manages to pick up almost everything I say. No, I haven't tried it. It did look good in the demo. I'm not a big dictator, to be honest, because I've normally got music on or something, so I don't want to interrupt it. But um, I should give it a go. It's good. And my last thought for iOS, and it applies to macOS and iPadOS as well, is the new home app is much better. Oh, yeah. Deniably amazing. I'm a bit glad they didn't change the icon. It'd be nice to have had some, you know, they've refreshed the app. Why don't, can't we have a different icon? But no, I think it, it's great, the new home app. And I don't know about you or whether it's just me, but it felt like it actually is working better when I'm sending the instructions. So I don't know how all that works, but it felt better to me. Yeah, I'd agree with you. It feels a lot snappier when it's doing things. I've got a few little quibbles with the way that it works. Like it still wants, for me, I've got lots of hue light bulbs. It still wants to dim things rather than switch them off unless you are millimetrically precise as to where you tap the icon uh, and things like that. But no, it's a lot faster. It's a lot easier to see what's going on. It does stuff like even the integration of my home bridge for my Unify security cameras are updated far more rapidly on the screen than they were before. So I'd give up and go in at the Unify app to actually look at them because it was so much faster. But now every time I go in at the home app, they're updated to the point I launched the home app. So I'm really impressed. Yeah, it, feels, it does feel like it's been worth the wait because I think we were expecting this last year. Nothing happened. So it, no, it's a win. I think it's really good. And I've used it on the iPad too. It looks really good. Good. I think I'll do it for iOS. Oh, no, you got one more. No, one more I was just going to say. I wonder actually does one thing that annoys me with the home app is I set up the home and like my, my shed in the garden. I'll take a picture, so it's the backdrop on my phone. And you go to your iPad and it's not there. 
do you know if they fix sinking of wallpapers? Because I just thought that was such a stupid thing. Why couldn't it sink my, you know, the background picture for that room? Because I was going to take photos of all the rooms and just put it in as the background picture. And then when it was like, well, it doesn't sink between your devices. I was like, that's no real point, is there? Yeah, I haven't even tried that because I just never expected it to work. What you've said is completely logical. It would make sense that that's the way it should work. But uh, stuff like that just never seems to. And I don't want to go back in in every single app and do it again. So, no. But I, I just want to set the home for my children, my wife, and they just get the pictures. You know, I'll take a nice one of the front door. I do one of the of the shed, like I say, or the family room, and we will get it. Why can't we have that? No, I, you're absolutely right. I mean, I will say it feels like they've sort of deprecated the concept of rooms a little bit anyway to me, that you do still get them in the list now, but not in the same way that it was split by a room before. And obviously you do have them in there, but it's like they're pushing into one screen that scrolls all your favourites. Yeah, they made the home screen so much more accessible, haven't they? Yeah, they have. So, yeah, overall, it's a win for me, i got to say. I think it's it couldn't have been worse, could it? So anything they did to it was an improvement. This is an improvement. Actually, I kind of skipped over it in the rumor section. There was a rumor that you used to be able to run... <clears throat> the way home works is you needed to have some sort of device capable of running the home app when you were out, and you used to be able to install it on an iPad as the hub for your home. And the rumor is that it's not going to be possible to do that anymore. You're going to need a Mac or an Apple TV Plus, an Apple TV, or a HomePod of some sort in order to run the Home app continuously in your home, which makes sense, actually. Yeah, I'm aware of it. The Switch is still there, though, in settings. So, right. Yeah, so I wonder whether they just haven't finished taking it out yet. It doesn't make sense, really, that you could run it on an iPad when the chances are your iPad's going to pick up and, and leave the house. So you want something that's more often than not going to be in the house. So it makes sense to me. I've never used it. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, talking to the iPad, I think you can start us off with this. Love it all. Buggy, but love it. So iPad, the big one here is the multitasking piece now. So you can do um, stage manager. I keep wanting to say center stage, apologies. You can do stage manager where you can have four apps and you can have another set of four apps and another set of four apps and another set of four apps. And you can do that on the ones on your iPad screen. I found that works really well, isn't too buggy, works really well, and you can move everything around. And considering most of the apps I'm running aren't Apple's apps, they seem to work really well with it. Considering they haven't been recompiled or, you know, the Microsoft haven't ticked the box to go, yep, get this ready for iPad OS 16. Super impressed with it. And then the other thing I've been using, obviously, is I plug my monitor in it and you can then do extended desktop and use that screen and have another set of four stages with four apps in each one so you can see up to eight apps all at once it is awesome it's just what they need to do it's that feature we spoke about earlier only works on an m1 it is buggy when you plug in the second screen there is lots of stuff they haven't fixed so if you push command tab to cycle through your apps if you're on your second screen the app will appear on your ipad no matter what you're doing it is if you do command space sometimes it appears on one or the other screen so there's just lots of little things and I'm sure they'll be putting a lot of effort into it because it is the marquee feature. But I've got confidence. What I've seen so far is really good. If they can just keep refining and finessing what we've got, I think it'll be really good and just what we need. So what's it like resizing Windows? Not having been able to try this on my iPad. Presumably you can get Outlook and you can get Slack or Teams up at the same time. Can you sort of drag one bigger, one smaller? Does it do it itself? What happens? Yeah, so really good. So in front of me now, I've got our show notes and pages and I've got Safari open and I can drag in, in between the two and I, you know, I can make pages a bit bigger and it overlaps or I can take it back and make it a bit smaller. I can shrink the height. You know, it does. It's probably not quite as fluid and it does snap a little bit to re reach the right size classes. 
but I'm, I'm quite comfortable with that. It just pings in and where they overlap, it tries to just move them so they're not always overlapping if they don't need to be. I, I think you just could get used to it. I really like it. You can turn off stage manager on the left. You can turn off the dock on the bottom and have the full screen. And equally, you can just, I uh, think it's the globe key and F will just make whichever app's got focus full screen. Mm. Really, really good. They do need to make the three dots at the top more prominent as to which one's got focus because it's still not super obvious. But there's just loads of nice things. It just seems to work really well. You can do... For some reason, Command M is minimised, whereas Globe F is full screen. The, the, the use of the Globe key and the Command key doesn't seem that consistent. I'd rather they just knock one on the head and make me relearn my muscle memory, if that makes sense. But it's great, and you can just go down the dock, you grab an app, and you just drop it, and it just pings up. Whereas I got used to dragging one out of the dock and waiting it to be skinny, so it would be on my slide-over mode. Um, when you turn this mode on, though, the center stage, sorry, stage manager, you can't then have slide-over apps as well, so you can't do that and do stage manager, which is fine. But again, it's just that muscle memory, you've just got to relearn it. But it is super awesome. I'm glad you're you're enjoying it so much. i got to say, the whole multitasking thing on an iPad was a bit of a dark art anyway, frankly. You know, I could get two apps running side by side. I was never sure what would work well in sort of the slide over mode. The, the thing about apps having focus has always been a problem for the iPad. That if you Even when you could get them running in the side by side mode, it was very, very unclear. I mean, just even putting a heavier sort of window border around the one that was active or, or something to make it a little more obvious what's active. They really need to do that. I'm surprised they haven't fixed that now, giving you this ability to run a couple of apps at the same time in a window. I would have thought that would have been job one is to make it very obvious that you're typing in the thing you're typing in. Yeah, or even just use an accent color or something. Make it pink if you want. Um, it just needs something. But no, it's, it's super well done. And like I said, a bunch of apps I'm using aren't Apple's apps and they just seem to work. I'm using a lot of Microsoft apps. Like I said, there are probably a few more bugs when you plug in a monitor, but I feel comfortable they're going to get that resolved. I'm really impressed and I'm glad that you're having the experience on the M1 pretty much that you always wanted to have, I think. for you know, If you have spent a lot of money on an iPad and you've gone for that top-end chip, it should be able to do something like this. It should be becoming more of a pro, pro operating system and I'm glad that it is. And even in this very early stage, if it's helping you use it to the full and feel like you're, it's almost got a second life out of it that it's sort of been expanded in this way and becomes ever more productive and useful to you. Great. I mean, that, that's a big tick in the box. Yeah, no, I think you've nailed it. That's it. It's, you get, it's like having a new, new iPad kind of thing in that you're getting so much more use out of it. It's great lining up all the apps I want. I just want to see where, where they go throughout the beta cycle because I'm hoping it's just going to improve the reliability of it. But the, I think the implementation is really good. If they ship it like this without the bugs in it, where it's, you know, it might crash or not, not resize quite 100%, I'd be very happy. No, it's good. Good news. For me, I've also installed iPadOS Beta. I can change the clock font. Seems to be the major change for me on the iPad. I haven't noticed much else because I can't do any of the, the groovy stage manager stuff or any, of the, or any of the posh things. I'm sure there are other changes as well. All my apps still work on it. I haven't had that keyboard crash that I've experienced on the phone. And I can run Apex Legends and Slay the Spire on it. So I'm, I'm, it's doing what I want it to do. I'm glad you're happy. I do like that things like files, though, have also got bit more functionality more on the right click and just it feels like it's coming i think it feels like the ipad has finally come of age and this is probably why they called it ipad os i think it just took them longer to to get there and it feels like this should have been ipad os version one fair enough i haven't even launched the files app i have very little reason to but uh, that's my homework is go and look at the files app and see if i can connect to my nas and see if i can change the name of a file uh 
in a relatively easy way. So that'll be a little bit of homework for me. Good. Uh, Mac OS. I guess I better talk about Mac OS to begin with because I'm more likely to have played with it. And I have. I've been using it in production, effectively, uh, s since last week. Well, six days, not seven. Again, don't be like Rod and install it on a production machine. If you use or rely on Audio Hijack, it will not work. Only other app I've found so far that I'm having issues with is a thing called Zotero, which is a reference managing uh, management software. So if you're trying to reference academic papers and things like that, you get things called DOIs, which are what uh, papers are referred to to make them unique. So you're saying, I, I'm referencing the paper by Middleton et al, 2018, Zotero will manage all that and it'll put it into Word or Pages or whatever sort of writing software you use, Markdown software you use, and, and maintain the sanity of your referencing. It will not even launch. It just crashes straight away. It doesn't even give you an error. The Z pops up in the dock, bounces, and goes away. So that's a bit of a hard crash. A uh, bit of a pain, but not the end of the world. I'm running Monterey in a virtual machine on my on my Ventured MacBook Pro, and that's working fine, actually. You know, I'm using UTM to run it. I've got Ventura up and running, and I can get at it. It's a bit of a hard way of doing it, but at least I'm still able to get at it and use my reference manager, so not the end of the world. That just shows how you and I live in different worlds. So UTM, you'll like this, Chris. UTM is the universal Turing. So it's a, it's a front end to a virtual machine called QEMU, um, which is an open source emulator, which if you'd managed to get Alt Store installed uh, before the beta cycle started on your iPad, you would have been able to install UTM on your iPad and be able to, to run Mac virtual machines on your iPad if you'd had a desire to. But just on that, actually, as, you, as you've derailed me slightly there, it's a great little interface to that. If you fire this up, a, a modern version of UTM on a Mac, of some description, you can just click plus and it will go off and download a Linux ISO for you using Arch, uh, the, the ARM architecture on, a, on an Apple Silicon one or Intel uh, architecture on an Intel one, but it will actually go out and pull down the uh, DMG for the latest version of macOS as well. So I clicked plus, it went off and it pulled down the six gig update for, uh, for Monterey, installed it, had it up and running in about 15 minutes. It's it, I was really impressed with that. And again, all running on a beta OS flawlessly. Okay, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I was really impressed. It's it's it, it's quite seamless, i got to say. The other thing that I've tested extensively is the continuity camera that it showed during the keynote. So this was the ability for you to use your um, iPhone as a camera when you've got a rubbish webcam. I have got a number of rubbish webcams. I've tried many of them over the years. But I got to say, I couldn't. I didn't understand how it worked to begin with. I was like, "How do you how do you enable this continuity camera thing?" And I clicked on Zoom, and there was my iPhone just named in the drop down list as a, as an available camera. I clicked on it. I thought, "Well, that's not good. It's black. It's nothing working." My iPhone had chimed, but then when I picked it up from being face down on the desk because the camera wasn't sitting there, it was just working. And from that point on, it just defaulted. So if it opened Zoom and start a video call, it automatically went to the iPhone, whether it was sitting in my pocket or whatever. It is absolutely seamless. Even in this early beta stage, I'm super impressed with it. That is when Apple's at its best, isn't it? When it, it just works, which was always their thing. So it does look kind of cool. I kind of want this feature on my iPad to a degree, but I want to use my studio display camera, which doesn't work. Yeah, you're not always in front of your studio display though, are you? is the thing. You might be out and about and you might want a better camera. And saying that, your iPad's probably got quite a good camera. Yeah, the, the iPad's got an amazing camera. I just want the ability to pick a different one. Fair enough. No, I got to say, it's it's almost worth the upgrade price alone for me, which is free, but with pain at the moment. Continuity camera is is super stellar, standout thing for me. And now I want a decent uh, mount for it so I can snap my phone to the top of my screen. The other thing I was impressed with is it really doesn't hammer the battery of the phone any more than the beta does anyway. 
it keeps the screen off, it just it turns on, you get a, a small chime from the phone to say it's been activated, and it just gets on and does it. You can even use it as a microphone if you want. And there's very little lag, and the picture is fantastic. Does it not show the green dot that it's... I hadn't noticed. I'll have to look. I think it's a yellow dot, is it? I think it's yellow. Yellow's for audio, green for video. I'm guessing, though, because the, the phone's facing the other way, isn't it? I mean, yeah, okay, so you wouldn't even see the screen. No, you don't see the screen. But yeah, very impressed, I got to say. And I did try, there's an app called Camel that I used in the early days of the pandemic to try and do the same sort of thing. But it was just too finicky to use. The, the, the phone had to be on and unlocked and plugged in with a wire. And you know, you, you're mounting it in some sort of tripod behind your screen to get it to come up. And who knows what was going on with it. You'd forget to switch it off or lock it when you walked away from the computer or leave the computer on, your phone would be dead. It, it, I mean, it, don't get me wrong, it worked really well. It was quite expensive, but this is what you'd expect from the operating system maker. They should have released this last year or two years ago at the outset of the pandemic. Yeah, well, they've got they've got the ability to go right into the OS, haven't they? So they, they can do that integration at such a better level than anybody else. Yep. The last thing I've got to report on, other than apps not working, continuity camera being amazing, is I tried Stage Manager as well, because we get that on the Mac too. And it makes very little sense to me. i got to say, it's I, I, when you were talking about switching between apps using Command Tab and things like that, you can group apps in the same sort of way. It sort of defaults to an app or two app and you can pull other windows alongside of it so you can group three or four windows together if you want to and then you can arrange them overlapping or not overlapping as you want and it will remember them in that position and you can click on the center stage thing to the left where the dock might be for example if you're a right thinking person and you keep your dock on the left and it will remember where they are in those apps in those app groups works well but if you command tab it pulls one out and it seems to break the whole interface and it just feels a bit disjointed Maybe it's this, literally the same implementation on the iPad. I'm not sure where it sits on the Mac. I guess if you're, what, what somebody did say is if you've come from an iPad that's got Stage Manager on it and you move to a Mac, it probably makes more sense if you're not used to a Mac, which I kind of get, but I just, I don't know. I don't know why they've done it on both platforms at the same time. No, it makes very little sense to me. I'm glad it's there. I've turned it on. I don't think I'll ever turn it on again. I can, I can manage my Windows. But I see the utility of it if you're not used to it. And as you say, coming from an iPad to a Mac, a bit friendlier. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Maybe that's what it's for. The only thing I was going to just comment on was system settings. So system preferences has been renamed system settings on the Mac. This is all I went and had a look at. And it looks horrible. I know it's going to be like the iPad slash the iPhone, but the old one was so well designed and it was really nicely. All the preference panes, I thought, were really nicely designed. I know they'd shoehorned a few bits in in later releases, but this new version just seems like lists of settings and it's a bit it's a bit dull. I get why they've done it because it's more extendable, but and it's more like the iPad and settings are more where you find them on the iPad, but it just feels a bit disappointing. Yeah, so I don't go into system settings that often because I've got my Mac set up the way I want it to pretty much, but I did have to go in to set some proxies and network settings and it was very hard. Everything is very strangely laid out. doesn't make a lot of sense. You're used to looking for your icon, to, you click on network, you click on that, advanced, you click, and, and there it is. It's all not discoverable. I mean, we're, we're back to that again. It's not very discoverable and you've got a little search button up at the top, but it's not the greatest thing in the world either and it's... It's, again, it's jarring to from something you're very used to going into system preferences and finding exactly what you want it is. And yeah, you could get a little bit of cognitive load trying to work out, hang on, has that moved? Particularly, you'd installed another pref pane. But I don't think this is a step forward, particularly. It's, it's, it's not an improvement on what they had before. I get why they've done it. And I guess if you're new to the Mac, you've got an iPad or an iPhone, 
it's more intuitive where everything is. I get it, but I just didn't think it was as well designed. It felt like they'd compromised a little bit. Yeah, it's a tricky thing anyway, isn't it? It's the tension between what the app maker can put in the preferences for the app against what goes in the system settings for the whole for the whole operating system. And there's always been a little bit of overlap between those things, and all the operating systems have them, Linux, Windows, Mac. But it's more stark when you see it on an iPad where almost everything goes into settings and you know, and, and then you go and look for it on the Mac. It's so the separation's not good. I think almost you need to throw it away and start again with where these things are. And they were, it was better. Maybe we're just more familiar with it where it was before, but it sounds like you as more of the iPad user and me as more of a Mac user, neither of us are happy with it. So that kind of says something, doesn't it? Yeah, but I guess though I would use system preferences for 20 years and I've used system settings for a week. Um, I just didn't, this, but if you look at the screen side by side, they just don't look as nice. They're just not laid out. There's not the spacing or the extra bit of instruction or pictures. So I don't know. I just found it a little disappointing. I get why, like I said, I get why they've done it. Just didn't feel like a step forwards, but it is more consistent. I did notice actually they've called everything settings now. So when you go to the app menu, it will you know find it and I'll say settings. But then in, in the window that appears, it then says, Finder preferences, so they obviously haven't got around to renaming it everywhere yet. It's complicated, and what you've said there is right. There's a lot of legacy, isn't there? You know, we've we've been Mac users for a very long time, some longer than others. You know, going back to the sort of the very early Mac days, there's there's a lot of legacy, and those users are still using Macs to these days. And the iPad's an upstart and all this, but it's been quite disruptive and in a good way in many ways to you know to push this forward in the iPhone. So it's good. I, I genuinely, it's nice to see life in all the platforms except the last two we're going to talk about here a little bit perhaps. But, you know, uh, in the major platforms, I think there's a lot of life, there's a lot of energy, and at least they're doing something. And it's not still not revolution, except maybe on the iPad, but it's significant evolution in many ways, and I'm really happy with it. Yeah, no, I think the iPad, like I said, it's gotten to where it needed to be done. I'm very happy. I can load four apps up on one screen. That's amazing. Very happy. Um, yeah, so the last two OSs then, just very briefly, watch OS. If I gave you my watch now, you probably wouldn't even know what version I'm running because it looks very similar. There seems to be a few refinements to notifications. That's probably the most obvious in that the font's slightly different and it, it looks all right, but it's not that obvious. Most people wouldn't notice, I don't think. And it's same with the fonts in the in the workout app. Okay, they look a bit different in places. Some are a little thinner, some are a little bolder. So and that nothing major to report so i don't know if that's good or bad maybe it's starting to mature a bit i would like them to get rid of this stand ring though because i'm bored of that um, i don't see why they don't really do a pedometer complication as well because i install pedometer plus plus just see my steps so i can tell my kid how many steps i've done today but no not a lot to report but it, i have noticed battery dropping now i've got a 18 month old apple watch the battery was okay before it is not okay at the moment so but again i'm, I'm assuming that's all part of the beta fun yeah, that's not good. I haven't installed it on the watch because for that precise reason, I get just over a day out of the battery, depending on how much of a workout I do. You know, I can charge it in the morning and then charge it again the next morning with a little bit of a 20% overlap, perhaps. I'm not taking the chance that it's going to run out. I've, I've come too dependent on filling my rings every single day that I don't want it to be not on my wrist doing that. Yep, same. A couple of times I've just had to top, top it up a little bit. I'm at 18% now, which is well under what it would normally be at quarter to nine in the UK. And when did you charge it? I would have taken off about seven o'clock this morning. All right. So I'm on 51% having charged it at seven o'clock this morning. Bonkers. Crazy. And TVOS. 
what to say. Literally nothing. Um, the one thing I noticed was just in the users in the settings area was where you could, it had just suggested the people in my family to add them to the sidebar, which is the only TV down here that I haven't got them set up on. So Brilliant. that was it. Nothing oh, to well. report. No, I think that's good, though. We've gone through them, and I think we maybe need a little segment for the next couple of weeks, or maybe every two weeks or something, when a beta comes out, a new version of the beta comes out. Just we report back on sort of any changes or, or quality improvements or problems that we've seen, just for interest's sake. Yeah, I'm just hoping beta 2 comes for the iPad. I'm not fussed about the others predominant, really, and it just improves stage manager. And I hope it doesn't regress, but I mean, obviously you've suggested it might regress. I got the feeling, in my head, I'm sure the second one's worse because all sorts of things start to go wrong. Hey, I'm going to go on holiday with all these betas. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> we're both brave men. We get on and we did it. Brilliant. I think we can call that a show, Chris. Yep, I think we're done for the day. Shall we uh, call it a day? And just to briefly mention to people, look, if you want us to look at anything or want us to discuss anything, just reach out via email, which is wakefromsleep at protonmail.com or uh, send us a message on Twitter. We are WFS underscore podcast. Love to hear from you. Talk to you next week, Chris. Cheers, Rod. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye.